You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Life is short. The world is a mere dream to the idle. Only the fool fears death. For what is there of life that does not die once, sooner or later? Man has to die once, and only once. He should make his death glorious. I'm TK, your guide to the past as we uncover the people, events, and little-known facts hidden in the shadows of your old history textbooks. From empress baddies to activist profiles, turkey gods and the history of the toothbrush, tattoos, Pompeii peepees, and everything in between, you can find it all here. There's no telling how far we'll dig or how many historical facts we'll re-examine. No event is too small and no topic is too big because this is for the love of history. Welcome, 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 my dear friend. I'm TK, your tour guide to the past, and you are listening to For the Love of History podcast, where we talk about world history, women's history, and weird history. And today, we are walking on the, dare I say, weird side. And if we're being perfectly honest, uh, it's mostly on the uh, gruesome side, the not-so-pleasant side, uh, because our subject today is a less-than-nice person. But... I guess you have to be kind of ruthless if you are going to unify a country that has been at war for like a hundred or so years. So without further ado, our topic today is the one, the only, the great unifier of Japan, the first great shogun, and a super weird guy, Oda Nobunaga. So... Put on those dishwashing gloves, settle into your commute, or grab your favorite beverage, and let's get to it. Today, my friend, we are traveling to one of my favorite historical time periods, the Sengoku period in Japan aka the Warring States period. This is probably one of the most talked about eras in Japanese history, along with the Edo period, the Meiji period, because a lot of a lot of stuff happens during these times. You've got your samurai, you've got your wars, you got your big old battles, you got lots of blood and lots of changes. And that is what historians typically like. That's what I like from time to time. I mean that's that's just what people like. People are morbidly curious. And that is why you are here. And also, who doesn't love a good samurai story? I have never met a single person in my life who doesn't love a good samurai story. But the narrative of this era always focuses solely on battles and strategies and fighting and tactics and new weapons. And, ooh, they were using more Western weapons than Japanese weapons. Blah, 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 blah. Which, okay... It's cool. It's very cool. 
I enjoy war history from time to time. But I also like to know about the people and not just how brilliant they were at military strategy or how they revolutionized an aspect of war. I want to know what they did in their daily lives. I want to know what their personalities were like. Were they mild-tempered? Were they hot-headed? Did they do weird stuff? What did they talk like? How did they treat people? I want to know who they were as actual, real-life human beings. Because historical people are still people. And I am a nosy lady, and I want to know everything. So today, we are going to do precisely that. We are going to take a look at Japan's weirdest and possibly, most definitely actually, most ruthless shogun ever. So let's start out with what the heck is a shogun in the first place. Before 1868, Japan was almost exclusively run by military leaders called shoguns. The shoguns were in power for around a thousand or so years. There were emperors too, but they were basically just like puppet heads. Before 1192, emperors had more power, but between 1192 and 1868, it was pretty much all shoguns all the time. Shoguns were always samurai, although not always high-ranking samurai. They were often chosen via a combination of father passing it down to a son, or master passing the position down to a student, or a big giant battle happened, and betrayal, and backstabbing, and lots of people dying, and then the last survivor would end up being the new shogun. The government system under the shoguns was exclusively a militaristic one. And depending on the shogun, they danced with dictatorship. Our dude, Nobunaga, was definitely dancing on the dictatorship side. In fact, dude took up residence on the dictatorship side, but more on that later. So how did Mr. Nobunaga become shogun in the first place? Oda Nobunaga was originally named Kichihoshi, and then later Saburo, which you will learn when studying Japanese history that people change their names all the freaking time. And it's a giant headache keeping these names straight because your name back in the Dizay really just linked you with your ranking and position in life, which changes throughout your life. But we're just going to call him Oda Nobunaga for clarity and ease of sake. Nope, that's not right. <laughs> for the sake of ease. <laughs> Anyways. He was born in 1534 in Owari Province, Japan. He was part of the ruling class and was the son of a noble and a warlord, Oda Nobuhide. His father ruled one of the eight districts of the Owari province. Growing up, he was kind of infamous for uh, his I-don't-give-a-fuck attitude about literally everything. He didn't care for decorum, he didn't care for traditions, he didn't care that he was a high-ranking samurai, and he, he just didn't care. And at first, his don't-give-a-fuckery was, you know, cute and innocent, he wasn't supposed to play with the village kids, but he did anyways. He would run around barefoot with just about anybody who wanted to play with him. 
He also didn't wear his hair in traditional samurai samurai way called chonmage. And if you have never seen samurai hair, you need to see it because it's friggin' hilarious. And I will put pictures up on Instagram, but I will paint a picture for you already. Imagine a medieval monk, but take away the bangs and add a man bun. That is chomage. <laughs> and I love it. But I digress. Nobunaga also did a bunch of dumb stuff all the time in Owari. So much so that in the province, he had the nickname Owari no Otsuke, which means the fool of Owari. And it's like a super sick burn back in the day because nobody wanted to be called a fool. That was just, that was the height of insults. And also, how foolish do you have to be for an entire province to know your nickname? That is tomfoolery on a whole nother level. He was the oldest brother in his family, and traditionally, leadership passes from father to oldest son. And being the oldest son in a Japanese family back in the day was super important. There was so much pressure. But since Oda was such a big dummy and so reckless, people weren't sure if he was going to be the next leader of the province. In fact, his dad was also kind of like on the fence and leaning towards giving the leadership role to his younger son, the brother of Oda Nobunaga, who was much more demure, much more level-headed. But Oda was not having any of that. His father died when he was 16, and at his father's funeral, he caused a huge scene, which we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Something happened after that funeral, and he was determined to not let his brother become the next leader of the province. He became motivated not only be to become the leader of the province, but to unify all of Japan. And he pretty much did. I mean, he unified about, about half of Japan, but that's still a pretty big freaking deal since Japan was literally never, ever unified before. In Japan's thousands of years of history, never had it been a unified country. As Oda conquered more provinces and aligned with more samurai leaders, he gained more and more power, and eventually, he became the shogun of a newly unified Japan. So, I wasn't really sure how to format this next part, uh, this very weird and also very dark section of our episode. Early in Oda Nobunaga's life, his odd behaviors were funny and cute and almost charming. But as time went on, Oda Nobunaga became the Demon Shogun, a name that he is still referred to by to this day in pop culture, in anime, in movies, in games. He's often depicted as an actual demon man. So... Let's just start with the light and the silly and the funny stuff. And then, you know, let's get a little dark. 
Let's get a little spooky-ooky. So here is the light. Like I said previously, Oda Nobunaga, as a child, gave no fucks, absolutely no fucks, about anything. He had no sense of decorum. He was often dirty and unkempt. Even though he came from the highest-ranking family in the province, he refused to cut his hair, and he would always wear his kimono wrapped only around his waist. So, like, imagine if you're wearing a dress, and then you just take your arms out of the sleeves and up into the neck, and then pull the dress around your waist. That's how he wore his kimono, and I'll, I'll post a picture of it on Instagram. It's pretty great. This way of wearing a kimono as a man is often depicted in art and plays and, and things like that, and it's usually a big, bad, mean character or some strong, tough guy who's wearing his kimono like that. It's just a very apparent way to show, like, I'm a badass, or I think I'm a badass. So that's the atmosphere he wanted to portray around himself. An atmosphere of badassery, if you will. And when he wasn't wearing his kimono in a half-up, half-down do, Oda Nobunaga would also sport hot pants. That's right, kimono hot pants. The pants that go over kimonos are called hakama, and they almost always look like a kind of wraparound skirt mixed with parachute pants. That's the situation that we're working with, with hakama. And they're, they're quite voluminous and honestly kind of difficult to walk in, so I get why he would chop off his kimono and his hakama and basically just create Japan's first hot pants. On hot days, it was said that he could be seen wearing these self-made DIY booty shorts all over the province. And this was quite odd for a few reasons. Number one, kimonos and hakamas, the ones that he would wear, were most likely ridiculously expensive. And also showing that much skin as a high-ranking samurai in public and not in a bathhouse or something like that was just unheard of. Y you don't do that kind of stuff. But he did, and that's just... That's what happened in his childhood. All throughout his childhood, and even on into his adult life, he was the hot-pants shogun. He also loved to wear women's clothing. Both men and women of the time wore loose-fitting kimono and hakama both. These aren't, like, gender-exclusive outfits, but what was more gendered was the patterns and the styles of these kimonos and hakamas. And I am not saying there is anything wrong with people wearing, quote, women's clothing or quote men's clothing because clothing has no gender it's just made up bullshit there were definitely transgender and gender fluid people in japan all throughout japanese history but in this situation it was absolutely not done by high-ranking samurai in leader leadership positions but his clothes were not the only thing that got him stares his hair was also quite the talk of the town. Having his hair undone was also kind of a big deal. 
Hairstyles were very much dictated by rank and class, and having his hair just running wild and not being shaved in the traditional samurai way, it was simply unheard of. Being the son of the lord of the province, Oda Nobunaga was supposed to follow certain codes of conduct, certain decorum, but he did not. And he would often do things like play pranks on people, intentionally skip his lessons, and just be outright belligerent. And this is where we start to get into the dark history. The quite dark history, in fact. And just a little trigger warning, we will be talking briefly about unaliving yourself. So if that's triggering for you, please absolutely feel free to fast forward about one minute and we will see you on the other side. So Oba, Oba, <laughs> so Obama's dad, no, so Oda Nobunaga's dad died when he was 16. I would not label his relationship with his father as a particularly healthy one. Counseling was definitely needed for the entire samurai class, but uh, particularly these two people. The fact that he definitely hated his father came out at his father's funeral. Japanese funerals are very strict and have a very specific set of rituals and customs that need to be completed in order for the soul to pass to the next life. These rules and rituals were particularly strict during this time and even more strict and ritualistic because of his father's rank. But Odun, Oda Nobunaga did not give it back. He rolled up to his father's funeral and absolutely trashed the place. He threw incense at his father's body, knocked over the altar. He created an absolute scene, all the while with his hair unkempt and his kimono in its typical half-up-down look. He wasn't wearing the funeral colors. He wasn't adhering to any sort of social norms or any rules at all. He did this in front of all of the other high-ranking samurai in the area and his entire family, as well as his teachers. One of his teachers was so upset by the way he conducted himself that his teacher committed seppuku, ritualistic suicide, because he was so embarrassed by Oda Nobunaga's behavior. I tried so hard to find more specific things on what exactly he did at the funeral, but I just could not find the entire account. But what we do know is that his teacher committing seppuku would have an impact on him, and he would later create a temple dedicated to his teacher, but don't let that fool ya. This guy is a freaking ursehole. Really, from this point on, his behavior became darker more ruthless. Oda Nobunaga would fight tooth and nail to become his father's successor. Something had happened and he was incredibly motivated to unite Japan and become the most powerful man in the country. He fought battle after battle ruthlessly and violently. One particular battle stands out far more than the rest and I'll let Tristan Dugdale from historyofwar.org explain it. The attack by Oda Nobunaga on the fortress monastery of Heie was such a massacre 
It is an exaggeration to classify it as a battle. The assault began on the 29th of September, 1571, with the burning of the town of Sakamoto at the base of the mountain. This drove most of the townsfolk to seek refuge in the monastery above. Nobunaga made sure that the shrine to the mountain king Kamisano was destroyed in the attack and then used his 30,000 men to surround the entire mountain. They then moved slowly upwards, killing all they came across and burning any buildings. By nightfall, the main temple in Lakuji was burning and many of the monks had leapt to their deaths in the flames. The following day, Nobunaga sent his tepotai to hunt down any survivors. It's possible that 20,000 died in the attack, and the result wiped out the warrior monks of Sendai sect. Isn't that bananas? This is unheard of. Absolutely unheard of. Also, side note, I feel like I'm saying unheard of a lot in this episode. Before the unification of Japan, temples and monks had almost as much power as the local samurai lords. So when Oda just annihilated an entire warrior monk sect, this was unheard of. (laughs) But he wasn't just ruthless in battle. He was ruthless with his freaking gift giving. Oh, we're about to get real hardcore right now. Gift giving is a huge part of Japanese culture, but not uh, not the way Oda Nobunaga did it. He once had the heads of several recently defeated opponents dipped in molten gold. Then he had those golden heads sent as gifts to potential rivals. Like the people that were thinking about attacking him or trying to overthrow him, he just sent them golden heads of his opponents. It's like the biggest fuck around and find out I have ever heard of in my life. Hey, this is Editing Taya, and I forgot to tell you that he would drink sake out of a human skull. Oh my god. He's often called the Japanese Vlad the Impaler because, um, He had a thing for putting people on pikes. He loved skewering people and just displaying them around the castle and the gardens and literally anywhere he wanted to. The dude was Metal AF. His official motto, which is inscribed on the seal with which he stamps documents, on the seal it said, Tenka Hubu overspreading all under heaven with military might. And on yet another official seal, he had rule the empire by force. And honestly, at this point, I really just feel like two official government seals with really hardcore messages on them is just overkill. It's gratuitous. You're no longer cool. Like, we get it. You're an asshole. You don't have to stamp it on literally everything, okay? Okay, thanks. Some of his other ruthlessness things were pretty smart from time to time. In one particular battle, he had only about 3,000 men facing an army multiple times 
bigger than his. And without flinching, he was like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make some dummies. We're going to trick the enemy into thinking that we have more people. Then they'll just be intimidated and we can beat them. And you know what? It actually freaking worked. (laughs) They just made a bunch of dummies and tricked their enemy. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that I need to know. Like, how many dummies did they make? How did they make them? Like, dude, you're in the middle of battle. Like, is there just, like, an arts and crafts store? Is there a Joann's nearby you where you can buy the materials to make dummies? Also, how much time did it take? They had to make a ton of dummies to trick the other army. And I feel like, I feel like they had to make a lot because the other army was like multiple times their size. And wouldn't it just have been faster to actually get people as extras, like samurai extras? (laughs) These are the things that keep me up at night. And I literally could not find any information about these war dummies. And I need, I need to know about them. But I digress. Even off the battlefield, Oda Nobunaga and his ass hattery knew no bounds. He was notorious for just killing servants or other people that annoyed him in the weirdest ways. Like, for example, one servant girl in the palace forgot to clean up a single stem from a piece of fruit that she had had left behind. And I mean, it was probably like a teeny, teeny little speck and she didn't even notice it. He brought her back into the room and then asked her, do you see anything that's unclean in this room? And she was like, nah, because I just cleaned it. And he was like, wrong, there's a piece of fruit on the floor. And he chopped her head off for a stem, for a piece of fruit that was left on the floor. What in the heck? And things like this happened all the time. He would be fixated on something at some point that would either make him insanely upset or incredibly happy. And there's a saying in Japan that describes the three great shoguns in Japanese history. And here's what it is. I will let you guess which one describes Oda Nobunaga. Nakanu nara koroshite shimae ho totokisu. Nakanu nara nakashite miyo ho todokisu. Nakanu nara nakumade that is hard that's a little bit hard to say (laughs) so basically that means if the cuckoo doesn't sing kill it if the cuckoo doesn't sing coax it if the cuckoo doesn't sing wait for it and guess which one was Oda Nobunaga guess which line refers to him I'll give you a second yeah you're right It's the first one. I knew you would know it because you're a genius. And I'm so sorry to insult your intelligence. My beautiful little gumdrop. So that one line basically encompasses his entire personality. If things didn't go the way that he wanted it to, kill the thing. 
or kill something. He feared nothing. He feared no one. He did what he wanted to and gave no fucks. And another kind of quirky thing about Oda Nobunaga was he was quite the poetry writer. But his poetry was also pretty hardcore. And this is one of his most famous poems. Life is short. The world is a mere dream to the idle. Only the fool fears death. For what is there of life that does not die once, sooner or later? Man has to die once and once only. He should make his death glorious. We have come to the final thought, my friend. And this one, I think, is really interesting because it's a, a pretty cool butterfly effect. So let's get into it. There's one thing that can be said, one good thing that can be said of Oda Nobunaga. Now, this does not negate all of the other horrible, awful, horrendous, terrible things that he did, but it is a quality worth noting. Because Mr. Nobunaga was unbothered by ceremony and tradition, he really didn't care about people's ranks. He also didn't care about how long people had been doing their particular job or holding that particular position. He cared about talent. If he saw something in you, he would take interest, and if you continued to impress him, then you would continue to move up in the ranks. And there is no greater story of this than the story of the young boy that carried the demon shogun's shoes. In Japanese homes, you take off your shoes, and when you're the shogun, the leader of Japan, you have a boy that holds your shoes for you. Usually, people who had shoe holders didn't really care about them. They didn't know their names, they looked down on them, and they were basically like a piece of furniture. But Oda Nobunaga's shoe holder was particularly fast and good at his job. And Mr. Nobunaga, being the inquisitive little cat that he was, took interest in this young boy. He would often hold Oda Nobunaga's shoes to his chest to keep them warm for his master. He was quick-witted and a good conversationalist, but he was just some young peasant soldier, and Nobunaga took notice of his go-get-it attitude and his wit. So as an experiment, Nobunaga gave the shoe holder a little bit more responsibility. And when he excelled, he gave him a little bit more responsibility. And when he excelled at that, he was given more responsibility. So this pattern continued and continued until this man became Oda Nobunaga's right-hand man. And this little shoe-carrying peasant boy would later become the second greatest shogun in all of Japanese history, Toyotomi Hideyoshi. That is all she wrote, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was fun for me. 
it was interesting. It's It was a little bit different from our norm, but you know, we got to shake things up. We got to keep things fresh. I never want you to feel stagnant in our relationship because I value you. I love you. And honestly, I just really appreciate that you hear, that you hear, <laughs> that you're here. And if you enjoyed this episode today and you want to help others find For the Love of History, leave a rating and a review wherever you can leave a rating and a review. (laughs) If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can follow the links in the show notes or the links in my bio on Instagram and Twitter. You can also support the podcast by becoming a Patreon. Ooh. (laughs) I had a brain fart. On Patreon, you'll get discounts on For the Love of History merch. You'll get stickers. You'll get postcards. You'll get all sorts of other goodies. So consider joining. It's great. It's only $2 a month. All the pictures that I talked about in today's episode will be available on Instagram now. And speaking of Instagram, on Sunday, September 5th, we will be having voting for the next topics. So head on over there to my stories on Instagram to let your voice be heard on our next topics. I hope you have a wonderful day, a wonderful evening, and a wonderful afternoon. Do something to make yourself happy and go get go drink some water because I know you're dehydrated as fuck. Take care of yourself and I will see you on September 10th where we talk about something. To be determined. Okay, bye! Why is there a metronome right now? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>